Attention. Attention. Do not be alarmed. This is the element of surprise. Element of surprise. My name is Chadwick J. Seward. I'm your host, and it's the holiday season, everybody. It is time for us to have a uh, a festivus, uh, a Yuletide celebration, and just get down with all the things that give us that warm, fuzzy feeling inside this time of year. So we're talking about Christmas. We're talking about <clears throat> everything that is. The, uh, the traditional Christmas season. I'm going to break it down for you in a way that only the element of surprise can. But before I get into that, of course, let's go through the usual. If you want to find us, go to www.facebook.com backslash, um, that's difficult to say, backslash EOS Mentally Irregular. And that's our Facebook page. You can join the Element of Surprise group from there. Also, check us out on Podomatic at eosmentallyirregular.podomatic.com. All our episodes are up there. Check them out. Leave a review. Leave a comment. Let us know what you think. Uh, like, as I said, join the Element of Surprise group on the fa- on uh, through our Facebook page. And, you know, we have a lot of fun shit going on there. So, let's get right into it. We're talking about uh, Christmas. We're going to talk about spending time with family. We're going to talk about trimming the tree and decorating the house. We're going to talk about Frosty the Snowman. We're going to talk about the uh, Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol. Or uh, my personal favorite adaptation of A Christmas Carol, Scrooged with Bill Murray. Uh, We're going to talk about The Night Before Christmas. We're going to sing some Christmas carols, we're going to bake some Christmas cookies, we're going to talk about some of my favorite movies about Christmas, or some of my favorite Christmas movies that are not about Christmas, we're going to talk about a cooked goose, and we're going to talk about Rudolph, the Grinch, Uh, remember the old Christmas specials that like Bing Crosby and uh, Bob Hope used to host, we're going to talk about them and what I think they should have for a more modern age, we're going to discuss It's a Wonderful Life. And, of course, we're going to talk about the jolly old elf himself whenever he comes pulling a B&E into your house on Christmas Eve. So, without further ado, trim the tree. I've already got my tree up, and I love Christmas trees. They are, like, my favorite. You know, seconded only by snowman. Snowmen? Snow people? I don't know. I'm, try- I'm not trying to be politically correct, you know. It's bad enough that they're, that they're all white to begin with, so... You know, let's let's just go from there. But get, let's get back to decorating. Let's go with the trimming the tree. You know, what do you put on your Christmas tree? I've seen a lot of unique trees out there nowadays. People get real unique. Like, uh, you know, uh, Justin Case from uh, Case in Point. He's got a death, death Star on top of his tree, which is awesome. I've seen Darth Vader trees. I've seen, uh, like, Halloween-themed Christmas trees. I've seen uh, a lot of different stuff. But you know what I haven't seen? 
You know what I have not seen yet? I haven't seen a Christmas tree decorated with dildos, with a giant dildo up at the top with, like, that like lights up. You know, at the, at the tree topper. I haven't seen that yet. I haven't seen a Christmas tree that has Polaroid photos of your grandfather taking a shit as the decorations. I haven't seen that yet. I haven't seen a Christmas tree made out of the limbs of my enemies. How about that one? Has anybody got a Christmas tree made out of the limbs of their enemies? What else do you decorate with Christmas? Well, you got to put up the lights. You got to put up the lights. What kind of lights do you like? I like just traditional. Remember in the 80s, for those of you who are old enough to have lived in the 80s, remember we had those big old bulbs, and if you touched them, they were like white hot and you would get burned? They have those back, but now they're LEDs, so they're cool to the touch. I want to get my hands on a string of those glass bulbs that got super hot, and I want to like just wrap my entire porch in them. So that way, anytime anybody comes over and like goes to touch the railing on the porch, their hand gets horribly burned. And you know, like like in like Joe Joe Pesci in Home Alone, and we could like I could have like my initials in in there in the lights, and they'll burn my initials permanently into their hand, or the Element of Surprise logo would be a good thing, and have that burn permanently, like, uh, what's that called whenever they do to cattle? Branding? It will be branded into their hand permanently, so that way, no matter where they go, they'll always have the Element of Surprise logo on them, and be like, oh yeah, the Element of Surprise. I remember when I went to that guy's house, I was there to, uh, I was there to do something, and uh, he, he pulled a Kevin on me, he pulled a Macaulay Culkin on me. Uh, but anyway, Getting into it, you know, and then there's stockings. What are stockings? Stockings are basically, you know, if you look back in history, stockings now are like very festive, but back in the old days, stockings were filthy old socks that they'd hang up over the fireplace to dry. And on Christmas Eve, um, Father Christmas would come down and he'd put trinkets into the filthy old socks. And if you were good all year, he'd fill your filthy old sock with trinkets. But if you were bad, he would fill them with coal. Which leads me to believe that he knows when you washed your socks. You know the old saying, he sees you when you're sleeping, he knows when you're awake, which is borderline pedophilic. But, uh, which we'll get into that later. But, um, <clears throat> you know, he, he, he's always watching you, he's always got an eye on you, like Big Brother. He's got a satellite system set up that uh, coordinates, triangulates your exact position anytime he needs to know where you're at, and he can see exactly what you're doing. And uh, so he'll know if your stockings, if your old dirty old socks are clean. So if they are, he fills them with coal in spite, of the, in spite of you. But if they're filthy, you get gifts, I think is how it works. Um, all right, moving on. Let's get, uh, let's, get into, let's get into Frosty the Snowman. Now, contrary to popular belief, I have proof that, and I've been touting for many years, that Frosty the Snowman is in fact a uh, criminal. And the children are, are aiding and abetting a known felon. And you're going to say, well, how do you say that? Okay, well, let's look at the Frosty Christmas special. Jimmy Durante comes on, he's got the schnoz, and he's like, Frosty the Snowman, and he tells you the story, and you see the magician. And the, the wind blows the magician's hat off it, and it's his property. He owns that hat, whether you like it or not. That is his hat. It's nobody else's. And these kids find it, and they put it on Frosty, and they bring it. it brings them to life. They have now stolen that hat, 
and given it to the snowman. And because it imbues him with life and allows him to come alive and say, Happy birthday! He somehow feels that he's taken possession of that hat. But it's not his. It's not his property. So he's a criminal. And the magician, he keeps coming about and being like, Hey, kids, give me back that hat of mine that you stole. I don't care that it brought your snowman friend to life. That's my property, and you've stolen it. You've stolen it from me. I didn't give you any permission to take that away from me. You've taken it against my will. That's theft. And they took it, and Frosty and his friends are like, No, no way. And they're running. And they even encounter a policeman who stops them for a minute, but rather than inquiring any information into the walking, talking snowman, he's just like, oh, okay, well, you know, you can't walk into traffic, and then he lets them by, and, you know, the magician is left to his own devices, and even Santa Claus defends the snowman, even Santa Claus defends the snowman, I think him and Frosty are in cahoots, Santa knows what it's like to be a criminal, and like I said, we're going to get more into that later, but, you know, criminal types, they stick together, so, you know, he defends Frosty from the snowman, and, or, or, not from the snowman, from the magician. He defends the snowman from the magician. And at the end of the story, he the magician's like, maybe I'll get a new hat for Christmas. He's like, if you go home and don't bother these people ever again. It's like, okay, so to sum up, magician's hat was stolen. He's not getting it back. And if he's very good, maybe, maybe Santa will bring him a new hat. Maybe. Despite the fact that all he wanted was his, his property returned to him. So, you know, Sucks to be him. That's how the justice system works in Christmas specials. Um, number two, this this girl, this little girl that accompanies Frosty on his trek, you know, she always complains about being cold, but meanwhile she's hanging out with a fucking snowman. Like it's not gonna like occur to her like, oh, you know what? Maybe if I hung out with like flesh and blood people, we could have share some body heat and survive out in this you know in this frozen tundra, rather than you know, hey, you know what? I'm gonna hang out with the 400 pound, six foot tall talking man of ice. And so Frosty even builds a fire for her. I don't understand how a snowman would have any knowledge on how to build fire, but he 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 builds it for her so she can stay warm. And I say, let the girl freeze. Let her freeze. It was her stupid ass who stole the hat in the first place and is now accompanying this wanted criminal on his, uh, you know, on his trek into the wilderness. She's helping him evade the authorities, basically, and she should be, she should freeze. Lastly, lastly, going back to that part where they're walking through the streets of town and, you know, they're only stopped a moment by the traffic cop or however it goes in the song. Why is there not terror in the streets? Why is there not terror in the streets about a walking living, talking snowman, just come to life, just bound to, bound to life, and comes walking right through town, everybody sees it, and they're just like, oh, what a friendly snowman, wait a second, no, 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 in real life, I don't care who you are, I don't care what time of year it is, in real life, if a snowman starts talking, they're gonna be like, holy shit, that snowman's alive, get your children indoors, this is the end of days, and, you know, whatnot, and have you, so, that, that, that's Frosty. That's Frosty for you in a nutshell. And, uh, you know, if you, you feel free to disagree. You don't need to like everything I say. You don't need to agree with everything I say. But uh, it's undeniable. Watch it. Watch it again. Frosty's a criminal. The magician's uh, technically the victim. And uh, there's there should be terror in the streets. There'd be terror in the streets if there were zombies or goblins or anything around Halloween. People would be running and screaming. But a giant walking, talking snowman, oh, that's just, that's just good old-fashioned fun. <sighs> Moving on. Um, the night before Christmas. The night before Christmas. Uh, that old nursery rhyme that everybody tells. You know, I've, I've been working 
on something, and uh, I, I ultimately ended up disbanding what I was working on because I found something better. I found something better. And uh, I'm going to give you a few excerpts from that now. And you, you hear me talk a lot on the show about how I feel everything becoming politically correct in the world is destroying the world. Well, I've stumbled upon a book of politically correct holiday stories. And the first one in here is The Night Before Christmas, or as they call it, Twas the Night Before Solstice. And I'm going to read to you an excerpt of Twas the Night Before Solstice right now. Twas the night before solstice, solstice, and all through the co-op, not a creature was messing the calm status quo-op. The children were nestled all snug in their beds, dreaming of lentils and warm whole grain breads. We'd welcome the winter that day after school by dancing and drumming and burning the yule. A more meaningful gesture to honor the planet than buying more trinkets for Mom and Aunt Janet. Or choosing a tree just to murder and stump it and dress it all up like a seasonal strumpet. My life mate and I, having turned down the heat, slipped under the covers for a well-deserved sleep. From out on the lawn, there came such a roar. I fell from my futon and rolled to the floor. I crawled to the window and pulled back the latch and murmured, Ah, where is the neighborhood watch? And I saw there below, through the murk of the night, a sleigh and eight reindeer of non-standard height. At the reins of that sleigh sat a mean-hearted knave, who treated each deer like a personal slave. I'd seen him before in some ads for car loans, plus fast food and soft drinks and cellular phones. He must have cashed in from his mercantile chores, since self-satisfaction just oozed from his pores. He called each by name as if he were right, to treat them like humans entrenching his might. Now Donder, now Blitzen, and other such aliases, showing his true Eurocentrical biases. With a snap of his fingers, away they all flew, like jumbo- like lumberjacks served up a plate of tofu. And it goes on like this. But anyway, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's something that I think everybody should have a good read of. And I want you to all go find it yourselves. But my, my, I want to, back to the original nursery rhyme, I want to talk a little bit about uh, about the the, Cla- the Claus character himself. You know, this uh, jolly old elf with the the bowl full of jelly, and you know, multiple heart attacks. I'm sure as the nights go on. Does, uh, does, okay, first off, side side question here, and I want you guys to answer me. Do you think Santa has a defibrillator strapped in? like hooked up inside his like little jacket to his chest just in case he you know from all the milk and cookies and fattening foods he eats over the course of the night at every house in America and his already obese weight and short stature don't you think that he would should have one just in case of mild heart attacks and if so do you think that it's running full time because i i i think that it would have to be running near full time to keep his keep his heart his heart must have congealed and become heart like rock hard over the years as well. But anyway, I digress. Let's move on. Let's move on. Singing Christmas carols is something I've always wanted to go do. I've always wanted to get the right group of people and go sing Christmas carols. But one of the things I want to do is make up new words to the songs as we're sitting there. Like, you get through, like, two or three, so that way the people at the door don't immediately slam the door on you. Have them, like, you know, be like, oh, look, look at these carolers. They're singing us some joyous Christmas tunes. And uh, that's whenever you bust out, like, you know, uh, have a holly jolly Christmas and have a keg of beer. 
I don't care if the cops get called, you stupid bitch, or some, some shit like that, you know, and just see how long it takes before they're like, what are they saying about? or just go full gremlins on them once they open, like, sing regular Christmas carols, and then when they open the door, just be like, like they did in gremlins. <coughs> Excuse me. Which actually, I guess, would lead into my next uh, topic, which is uh, my favorite Christmas movies that aren't actually about Christmas, and Gremlins is on that list. Gremlins takes place all around the holiday season, but not really one part of that, aside from him getting the Mogwai for a Christmas gift, is about Christmas. So, Gremlins is on the list, and you can argue, okay, well, it, there's a lot of Christmas involved in there. Sure. Okay, so let's move on to the next movie, the, the what I consider the ultimate Christmas movie not really about Christmas, Die Hard. And I know what you're thinking. Chad, you're absolutely right. Die Hard is that movie. Uh, you got John McClane, he's in Nakatomi Towers, he's there to uh, try to reconnect with his estranged wife, and go about their Christmas, you know, spend Christmas together as a family with his children, because he's a cop from uh, New York, and she lives out in L.A., and what happens? Alan Rickman shows up, and when Alan Rickman shows up, things aren't normally good. So he shows up, and this is young Alan Rickman with a goatee and a, and a fucking, like, Versace suit that shows up, and he knows Japanese, and he speaks about, like, uh, Alexander the Great. So he's a well, you know, he's a young, well-educated, well-tailored Alan Rickman who's there with a group of terrorists to take over Nakatomi Towers. And what happens? John McClane's in the middle of changing. He's got his pants on. He's got a wife beater and his gun, and that's it. And he goes and he kicks some ass. And he kicks all their asses. And he drops Alan Rickman out a window. And then he comes down, and Al is there. Al helps him out because it's Christmas. In the, in the Die Hard movies involving Christmas, Al always helps him out, be it with a phone call or by being outside. And he saves Bonnie Bedelia. And uh, then uh, the limo driver comes up, and they, they, they go away, and they drive off into the sunset, and that's Die Hard. And that is a Christmas movie. It's a Christmas movie. It's the best Christmas movie not about Christmas. Um, my favorite Christmas movie about Christmas is Scrooged with Bill Murray, which is basically just a retelling of A Christmas Carol by Charles Dickens. Um, but it's Bill Murray, so it's excellent. And, you know, the, the, the three spirits are in there. They go to Christmas past, future, and present. Um, you know, his old boss comes back from the dead. There's a mouse that crawls out of a hole in its head, head and pulls out a golf ball, which is funny as hell. Um, just a phenomenal movie. It's got Bill Murray, Karen Allen, um, John Glover, I think, is in it. Uh, so many, so many good actors are in that movie. Uh, Bobcat Goldthwait is in that. Uh, you know, in, in this time of year, I think I think everybody should get down, sit down together, and watch Scrooged, and just enjoy it. And you know, there's just Bill Murray's humor is one of my favorite types of humor. I mean, he's always on point. He always has something to say about any topic that you deliver to him. And uh, it really makes me wonder exactly how much of the of his work in his films is ad libbed. Probably a lot of it. I, you know, they have the rumor about Ghostbusters and all that. But anyway, I digress. Um, another one of my favorite holiday pastimes is baking Christmas cookies. And um, you know, you could bake your gingerbread man. You could put a gingerbread house together. I always wanted to do a gingerbread, like do a ginger, gingerbread dungeon and have a gingerbread man up in gingerbread chains, like he's being tortured by other gingerbread men. 
Um, or, you know, for those of you who believe in, you know, put Christ back in Christmas, have like a gingerbread Jesus being stabbed in the side with the spear by gingerhead Roman warriors. And you get a gingerhead uh, Judas getting uh, 30 pieces of gingerbread silver and Pontius Pilate uh, releasing gingerbread Barabbas. And that would be that would be uh, like an awesome gingerbread scene. Uh, I would love that. That would be amazing. Bring that to me. I guess it's more Easter ish. But, you know, anyway, I'd like to see it. Um, as far as Easter, as far as Christmas dinner goes, you know, everybody's like, oh, well, you cook a Christmas ham or a Christmas turkey. Well, Thanksgiving just ended. I don't want another turkey. I do not really want a Christmas ham either. I want a traditional Christmas cooked goose. I want the Ebenezer Scrooge boy. What day is this? Why, it's Christmas day, sir. Here, go down to the market and fetch me a cook, fetch me the largest goose they have, and there'll be a shilling for you. Two shillings if you return in half an hour. Oh, I'll, I'll, yes, sir, Mr. Scrooge. I want that goose. I want to, on Christmas morning, I want to run down to the market and fetch a cooked goose and bring it to Bob Cratchit's house. Uh, Bob Cratchit's house, of course, being my own house in this particular version. But uh, And then I want to eat the cooked goose. And I want Ebenezer Scrooge to be there, or someone dressed like Ebenezer Scrooge, to just yell humbug at me no matter what I'm saying, which I think would be entertaining in and of itself. Um, all right, so now we got to talk about uh, the Grinch. We've got to talk about the Grinch, the Grinch who stole Christmas. You know, Ebenezer Scrooge was a little bit of a Grinch. He was a Scrooge, but they all, there also was a Grinch. And the Grinch was, uh, you know, he lived up in the mountains of Whoville, and he had a pet dog. And his shoes were too small, and his heart was three sizes too small, which sounds to me less like a condition of him not being like jolly and caring, and more like a medical condition he should probably seek like a doctor over. But he didn't, um, you know. So the Who's down in Whoville love Christmas, and the Grinch doesn't care for the Who's. So what's he going to do? He's going to take it away from him. He's going to wait till the middle of the night, and he's going to do. He's going to break into their house, and instead of leaving gifts, he's going to take the gifts. He's going to take all their Christmas, all their Christmas uh, trinkets and and stuff. And little Cindy Lou Who, who is no more than two, shows up, and she's like, "Santa, where are you taking our tree?" And the Grinch is crafting. and he says, "I'm. It's, it won't light up, dear. I got to take it. I got to take it and fix it, and then I'll bring it back." And she's she's he, you know he convinces her when all he really had to do, being that she was like a foot and a half tall, was just batter out of the way. I mean, if you watch the Grinch. Watch the ornament, the bulb ornament that falls off the tree and rolls into Cindy Lou Who's room that she then carries back out. As it bounces past the Grinch's feet, you see that it's just a regular-sized ornament like on anybody else's tree. But when Cindy Lou Who carries it out, it is the size of her body. So she is, like, remarkably small. She's maybe the size of, like, a drinking glass or a candle. And all you have to do is just boot her out of the way. But the Grinch, you know, he doesn't want her to alert anybody else, even though he could have just as easily murdered her. He, he, he goes the kind way about it, which shows that, uh, you know, later in the story, whenever his heart grows three sizes that day, uh, that he's not all bad. But, uh, you know, again, his heart growing three sizes uh, seems to me more like a medical condition. It seems like something he, could, he should be going to the ER about rather than, like, you know, just celebrating. And, oh, and he, co- he, he himself carves the roast beast, which they never like really specified what the roast beast was or what who hash is, but they both sound awesome. And I think I'd like to eat some of those with the, with the cooked goose. Um, 
All right, so, uh, you know, It's a Wonderful Life is what people say. Every year around this time, It's a Wonderful Life is on with Jimmy Stewart. It's a classic movie. I've watched it uh, beginning and multiple times, and I, I will admit, I do enjoy it. But, uh, you know, there's parts of that movie that I look at in mo- like in modern times, and I'm just like, just, no, that, just, that just wouldn't happen. Like, uh, you know, his familiarity with everybody in the town, and they know that his failing loan business and failing banking business is going under. So at the end, they're all like, well, I'll give you what I got on me, and they save his business. And, they, you know, the town comes together to save their old pal. And, uh, you know, they just give him whatever, whatever they got on them, and uh, it saves his business. Nowadays, that would not happen. That would not happen. I don't care how many people know. You'd be like, oh, I'm going out of business. Hey, you, it sucks to be you, man. Sorry. Oh, well, you know what? If everybody, if everybody that knows me would just donate $1, just $1 of your own money, I could save my business. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, holidays. Money's tight. Sucks, man. Sorry. Happy holiday. And they'll go off. And that's, that's the first modern difference between that and uh, between the real life and it's a wonderful life. Uh, number two, Clarence. You know, every time an angel, a bell rings, an angel gets its wings. Well, if that's true, then there's an overpop, there's a surplus population of angels. They need to do something about that. I think that many of these angels need to be uh, repurposed for and and you know, like sent down to Earth to live amongst us, and you know, maybe help some people out. Maybe bring it back to the way it was in the 30s, and have Jimmy Stewart show up and just talk in his delightful Jimmy Stewart way. He was from Pennsylvania as well, by the way. For those of you out there that don't know that, um, but yeah, you know, it, it. If you really think about it, there is a lot that we all do have to be grateful for this time of year. And I know things do get rough, and uh, you know, maybe. Maybe that yeah, you're going through a rough time at work, or maybe you're going through a rough time with family, or uh, you know you're 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 struggling in your own way. But uh, you know, just hang in there because it really is a wonderful life, and you don't really want to give it up over something stupid that could be corrected. You know, it, things will get better, but it's up to you to make them better. You, no one's gonna come to your rescue like Jimmy, like Jimmy Stewart, like people come ran, running to Jimmy Stewart's rescue, and it's a wonderful life. It's up to you to make things better, not anybody else. And that's an EOS promise. Moving on. Moving right along here, children. We're going to talk a little bit now about the uh, jolly old elf himself, about Santa Claus. Santa Claus? Claus? I don't know. Um, oh, 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 before we get into Santa Claus, uh, we're going to, I want to discuss a little bit about, at the top of the show, I said I wanted there to be, like, a, like, holiday specials, like there used to be with Bing Crosby and Bob Hope hosted, you know, and they'd have celebrity guests and sing songs and do Christmassy things, and I think we need one of those that's hosted by the following four people. It, uh, not separately, they all four of them have to host this Christmas special together. And it needs to be, like, old-timey, like the Bing Crosby, Bob Hope specials, but it needs to be hosted by... EOS favorite Jeff Goldblum, Crispin Glover, Christoph Waltz, and Liam Neeson. And the four of them need to get together and act like they're old pals, and it's their Christmas time together, and have, like, like a Christmas party, and, you know, like, have it in front of a live studio audience, and have, like, celebrity guests come on, and stuff like that. That would be entertaining. I'd watch the shit out of that. I'd watch that every year, and be like, oh, it's time for Jeff, Crispin, Christoph, and Liam to get together for their Christmas time festival. And here are your hosts, Jeff Goldblum, Crispin Glover, Christoph Waltz, and Liam Neeson. It's the Liam, Jeff, Crispin, and Christoph Christmas special. You know, there's a lot of Chris's in there, so it would work. Like, have Christoph Waltz sing Holly Jolly Christmas, and have Jeff Goldblum play the uh, piano 
and you know he could play he could sing um what's that old christmas piano song with the piano uh white christmas he could sing white christmas holy shit i have you ever wondered what a baby grinch would look like because it's borderline adorable but also equally terrifying so if you possibly want to, I know I got sidetracked there, but uh, my fiance just showed me a picture of, a, of an infantile, like, newborn infant Grinch, and it's, it's, as, it's as adorable as it is terrifying. It will melt your heart as it melts your face. So, but uh, going on, you know, Jeff Goldblum could play the piano and sing White Christmas. Uh, Christoph Waltz could sing Holly Jolly Christmas. Um... Crispin Glover could read The Night Before Christmas to everybody, and uh, Liam Neeson could uh, tell the story of Rudolph. And that, that would just be a wonderful Christmas special. I would sit through that yearly. You know, and of course, uh, celebrity guests, like, you know, maybe have, uh, maybe have, like, Channing Tatum show up and hand out gifts. Or, uh, you know, maybe uh, have Santa Claus show up and, you know, ask Liam Neeson if he's been a good boy this year. Or, you know, and Liam would say, well, I really haven't been that that good Santa, no. And Santa would be like, oh, I'll put you on the, you know what that means? You get a lump of coal. And Liam could be like, no, I think I get presents. And Santa would have to do it because Liam Neeson is that threatening. And, uh, you know, he could give Jeff Goldblum like a set of telepods that work and he wouldn't get turned into a fly. And he could give Christoph Waltz uh, Brad Pitt's number and he could get him back for Inglorious Bastards. And he could give Crispin Glover back his career and stuff like that. You know, it would be a wonderful, it would be a wonderful Christmas special. And I think that it should exist. And uh, I think that together we can make it happen. But, uh, you know, it's time to get into Santa Claus himself, the old uh, jolly old elf, huh? So... Going back to what I said earlier with Frosty being a criminal, does anybody besides me realize that Santa Claus yearly, yearly breaks into your house and nobody cares? Nobody calls the police on him. Nobody cares. It's like you, you look forward to it. You're like, oh man, if it's the middle of June and someone kicks my door in, I'm calling the police. But if it's December 24th, and I hear someone trying to scramble in through the windows. I know that's just jolly old Saint Nick coming to uh, coming to wish me a Merry Christmas and give me a, a Happy New Year. But, uh, you know, that still doesn't excuse his actions in, from, from my point of view. You know, I, I live in my house. I lock the doors at night because it's 28. It's going to be 2018. I lock my doors at night because it's not safe. It's not safe. I've got a child and a fiance to protect. And I'm, I'm, I'm not really, you know, anything to look at. So I'm not going to be the guy that like linebacker charges a guy pulling a B&E. So, you know, I lock my doors. I keep us safe. They're chained and locked and I keep us safe to the best of my abilities. That's what the chain and the lock are for. They help me out in that aspect. So, so, you have Santa Claus, and he just B&E's your house. He just busts the door open and says that, you know what? Hey, I'm Santa Claus. I'm here. I'm just busting in. I don't have a key. I'm not really invited. And, uh, you know, I'm just going to go rambling about your house now while you're sleeping, while you're, while you're out, while you're out cold. I'm just going to rummage through your house. I'm going to eat some of your cookies, drink your milk. And, uh, you know, if I feel like it and feel you've been good enough, maybe I'll, maybe I'll leave you a trinket or two. And that's what he does. People, think about it. That is what Santa Claus does. He is a person that breaks and enters and leaves things rather than taking. He eats your food like an unwelcome drunk. And then he, he just leaves some of his shit there. And it just so happens that Santa's shit is awesome. So you don't mind that he's left it behind. But he comes in, busts into your house, 
eats some of your rummages through your house, eats your food, leaves some of this shit behind, and goes to the next house to do it again. You know, hauling his 480-pound ass through down a chimney or through a window or kicking in a door or however the hell he gets in, maybe through the rafters. I don't know, but you know, he breaks into your house and he leaves and he just he rummages through your shit and he leaves his some of his shit behind. And that's what Santa Claus does. Uh, going back to the Die Hard thing, I found this excellent meme uh, that reads: "There are two types of people in this world: those who think Die Hard is a Christmas film and those who are wrong." And I, I think that fits what I was saying earlier. It also has a really well uh, an, uh, illustrated picture of John McClane holding a teddy bear, which is just kind of, it just seems fitting to me. Like, it's, 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 it's like he's rescuing that teddy bear instead of the, the people from Nakatomi Towers. But, okay, that leads us to the end of our little Christmas journey, folks. And uh, to send us out, I decided that I'm going to read you the Element of Surprise version of Rudolph... The red-nosed reindeer. So, <clears throat> so we are going to be reading Rudolph the Red-nosed Reindeer, the Element of Surprise version, which I call Rudolph the Nasally Empowered Reindeer. Shall we begin? All right, here we go. The story of Rudolph is a familiar one to most of the pre-adults in America and the other parts of the Western world. Not that this fact is an endorsement of Western culture, just an acknowledgement that the publicity and merchandising machines run more efficiently in those areas. While the image of an eager young reindeer cheerfully giving his all for Santa Claus might be useful to department stores and jingle writers, the truth of his story is more complicated. It's true that from birth, Rudolph was a unique individual, that his luminescence, that his luminescent olfactory organ made him different from, but not inferior to, the other reindeer in his age category, and that they often maliciously taunted him about his supranasal capabilities. Some reindeer caregivers, concerned that his nose had resulted from radioactive fallout or was somehow contagious, warned their fawns not to play with him. What is not true is that Rudolph was disappointed to be so ostracized. While his parents were successfully... uh, Excuse me. While his parents successfully fought to have him schooled alongside the other young bucks and does, Rudolph always fancied himself an outsider. In fact, he worked to cultivate his image as an angry young reindeer. He had no interest in the other reindeer and their inane games. He took himself and his fluorescent gift seriously and was convinced he had a higher calling in this life to improve the fortunes of the working reindeer and overthrow the oppressive tyranny of Santa Claus. For untold years... The success of Santa's toy-making monopoly depended on the co-option and exploitation of both the reindeer and the elf populations. To this end, his most important criteria for the reindeer in his team were strong legs, a 10-point rack, and minimal gray matter. The fact that he only recruited bucks for his team and excluded the does is cause for moral outrage. Santa insisted it was to protect the moral morale of the enlisted bucks, but unfortunately in Rudolph's time, the does were still waiting there. Liber, liberatrix. So basically, you know, like they, they, they hadn't achieved uh, equality back then. Anyway, to Santa, Rudolph was one of the Northland's most dangerous creatures, a reindeer with a brain. He had seen a few during his years at the pole, but there was something about Rudolph that made him especially nervous. It might have been the deer's standoffish attitude or the rumors that he was organizing meetings with other reindeer late at night. 
Santa also sensed a charisma in Rudolph that, if not kept in proper check, might disrupt his tidy little enterprise. And so it was that on that fabled foggy evening, Santa found himself in a bind. Harsh weather conditions left him unable to exploit the aerodynamic talents of his team, and he had of course flown them through all sorts of dangerous weather before, with no thought to the deer's physical strain or mental trauma. But on this night, the weather was so temptuous that the bearded slave driver was fearful for his own safety and for the insurance headaches that a crash at his own toy works would certainly create. Although Santa had known for years about Rudolph's gift for uh, incandescent dissemination, he had not called special attention to it. In due time, Santa selfishly calculated a use for it would arise, and until then, there was no need to tip off how valuable Rudolph's skill might prove to be. That moment had finally arrived. On that foggy night, he sought out Rudolph among the herd, and, wearing his humblest and most pleading face, asked him, Rudolph, with your nose so bright, won't you guide my sleigh tonight? Now, this is where the, uh, the story takes a, takes a swerve from what we've been told growing up. The young reindeer looked him over carefully, and after a moment of silence, said, bluntly, no. Santa blinked a few times and repeated, no. The herd of reindeer could scarcely believe their ears as well. No, not without concessions, replied the uh, creature who happened to be antlered. The days when we jump every time you whistle are over. What are you talking about, concessions, blustered Santa, who hadn't planned on this twist. This is your big break, your chance to join the team. This is the life's dream of every young reindeer. Rudolph laughed at that remark. This is starting to sound like a star is born. Next you're going to tell me, kid, you're going to go out there, nervous young buck, but you're coming back a star. The herd all chuckled at this remark. Perhaps such a gung-ho speech was all too familiar to them. Santa reddened, realizing he'd made a tactical error in approaching this young firebrand in public. He said, it's cold out here. Why don't we talk this over inside my shallot? Uh... I have some very good moss and uh, lickens just picked. I'll eat what everyone else eats, countered Rudolph. And whatever you have to say to me, you can say out here. The other reindeer were watching this face-off with great interest. For years, they had treated Rudolph with suspicion for all his bold ideas, but now he was bravely sticking up for them at the expense of his own career. Some shouted encouragement, while the more reactionary deer grumbled about not rocking the kayak. Santa began to feel some pressure from as the minutes ticked away and the fog grew thicker. Finally, he asked Rudolph what his demands were. You worked the reindeer too hard and with no consideration for our families, Rudolph said. We want to guarantee a no work on holidays. For the next 30 minutes, Santa tried to explain the disadvantages of this idea, the main one being, of course, that the reindeer only worked one night a year anyway, and that night always fell on a holiday. And such a change would make their jobs and his rather difficult to fulfill. Rudolph eventually agreed to table the issue for the time being. Checking his watch, Santa was starting to sweat, even as in the Arctic cold. Could we speed this up, he asked, or maybe forge a temporary working agreement that we can make uh, permanent after Christmas? Rudolph snorted in his face. We weren't born yesterday, Claus. No contract, no flight. If Christmas doesn't come this year, who do you think the children will blame? The reindeer? The weather? The Interstate Commerce Commission? No, they'll blame the overfed guy in the red suit. Santa imagined the public reaction or public relations headaches this ca- would cause him, and his frame began to sag. Rudolph grilled him on such issues as health care, paternity leave, profit sharing, and joint decision-making councils. As the fog refused to lift and uh, the minutes ticked away, Santa granted more and more of the deer's demands. In the end, Rudolph and the reindeer rank and file 
could claim a number of victories. The deer would be required to fly only one night a year, and after four hours on the job, they would receive a 90-minute dinner break and three 15-minute breaks. Santa was required to keep four alternate reindeer on standby for the duration of the Christmas Eve at full pay and benefits. In addition to mandatory re uh, retirement age, was lowered to eight years, after which the reindeer were to receive a full pension and lifetime health care. After all the terms were finalized, an exhausted but relieved Santa Claus hitched Rudolph up to the rest of the team. The other deer gave Rudolph three cheers for standing up for their rights against the man, which the nasally empowered reindeer, feeling fulfilled for the first time in his, in his life, gratefully accepted. Using his unique luminescent gift, he led the sleigh through the inhospitable weather, and Christmas that year was saved. Let's get to the epilogue, shall we? Well... Like the fabled prophet in his own land, however, Rudolph found his real influence evaporating soon after that. For weeks he was praised by all the other reindeer who told him, You'll go down in history! All the attention and admiration, however, began to feel superficial and distracting. Rudolph felt that any lionization of himself would take energy away from the continuing fight for the well-being of the working reindeer. In a facile attempt to emulate their new hero... The other young reindeer began to wear bright red coverings on their noses, and when Rudolph expressed his displeasure with this, some muttered that he was becoming too humorless and doctrine. To Rudolph, this first agreement with Santa was to be just the beginning. He envisioned the eventual creation of a working reindeer's paradise, a toy-making and distribution collective where the means of production were shared by everyone. Unfortunately, many of the other reindeer began to take their newly won benefits and their inevitable right uh, as an inevitable right bestowed by nature. This grew they grew fat on too much moss and complained that their impoverished work schedules were still too taxing. Factions began to form among, the, uh, among them about the best ways to invest their new pension funds, and Rudolph tried to convince the dissident deer that they needn't, needed to stand united, but they began to resent his holier-than-thou attitude, as they called it. Some spread the rumor that he was an agent of <clears throat> provocateur, sent by other aeronautical gifted animals seeking to gain Santa's favor and put deer out of their jobs. While such theories were patently absurd, they served to discredit Rudolph and embolden his detractors. Eventually, he was voted out of the union he had helped establish, and after his indignity, Rudolph decided to strike off for Lapland, where he felt the undomesticated reindeer were more in control of their own future. And so, like other revolutionaries before him, Rudolph the angry young reindeer lived out the rest of his days in exile, bitterly wondering how a movement with such promise could prove to be so fragile in the end. Alrighty, I think I'll read one more Christmas story to you. This one's an original written a long time ago, back in 2002, by a good friend of mine, uh, Mr. Dane Seville. This is Belly Christmas, The Adventures of Belly Cat. Alright, here we go. A very belly Christmas. It was five days until Christmas. The decorations were up, lights all over the neighborhood, and as the yearly tradition, we wrapped Handicat in decorative lights and plugged him in. Then we made him dance as we threw nickels and rocks at him. He doesn't like that much and sometimes cries, but we don't care because the entertainment value is too high. After 17 hours of this, we then let him take the lights off, to which he does in an angry manner, and then sprints through the house screaming like a banshee and waving his arms in the air like a maniac, and the final result is him running into the refrigerator, knocking himself unconscious. Belly Cat and I then put him upside down in a Christmas stocking and beat him with sticks and continuously dropped him on his head. But when my son, Monkey, rises from bed, 
We replaced my ludicrously retarded animal with my abused, neglected, and worthless son. When Monkey comes out of the basement, Belly Cat will hide around the corner, waiting in the shadows with a smile stretching from ear to ear. Monkey, get in here before I slit your throat with a plastic fork, I yell out. As Monkey comes around the corner, Belly Cat falls forward onto him, and his knees explode under the overwhelming weight of my flagellating and gluttonous cat. Then, I run up and tap dance on his head. Then Belly Cat swiftly wraps Monkey in barbed wire and beats him with chairs and frozen fish. After our annual rituals, it's off to last-minute shopping, and somehow every year Belly Cat gets me to go to the BMW dealership, and he begs and pleads for a new Beamer. He even boycotts getting back in the car until I get the axe out of my trunk and smile at him while making a pretend hacking motion. The BMW people know us by name, and every so often I'll go inside for some coffee and talk about my fat buddy. Then I find Belly Cat humping a car and we get kicked out. Then at the mall, Belly Cat tries on bikinis and asks me if he looks good, and that's when I need to big boot him in the face. Once in a while, as he dodges it, but he's never been quick enough to then juke out of the way of my fist. Also, while we're in the mall, Belly Cat likes to go to the Santa Claus and hop on his lap, which makes Santa very unpleasant. But Belly Cat had doubled in size recently, and I don't know if Santa's... <clears throat> I didn't know if Santa could handle such a Goliath as Belly Cat. Belly Cat managed to get me in line anyway, when he grabbed his nipple and squirted tit milk on me, which I gave, to which I gave chase and wound up in the line. Sure enough, when it was Belly Cat's turn, Santa began to panic, pissed his pants, and then passed out from anxiety. But being the merciless tyrant that he is, Belly Cat sat on his lap anyway, crushing Santa's legs beyond repair, and we had to leave before the authorities arrived. Well, then we have to go to another mall, and I put Belly Cat on a leash to be able to control him, but as a backup tool, I have a shovel in my jacket. When we walked into this mall, Belly Cat was dressed wearing a ski mask, and people thought he was an out-of-shape bank robber, so they gang-beat him. For the rest of the day, I had to drag his fat ass through the mall, leaving a crimson trail in our wake. Soon enough, I was done shopping, and I power-lifted him into the trunk and went driving on the worst roads I could find. When I opened the trunk at home, he scowled at me and then began to rub his body in an erotic manner, and it was at this time that I had to smash his balls with a hammer. He screamed like a midget in a stampede of buffalo. When we, got, when we got home, the doorbell rang, and so I set down my peacemaker and answered the door. Staying outside were Mrs. Old Woman and Mr. Her Husband. How's it going, I asked. Well, Dane, the thing is that we caught that handicap throwing shit on our porch, and we weren't too delighted when we saw this, Mrs. Old Woman said. Let me get you your gifts, I said as I walked over to the tree and picked them up. I think you're avoiding the subject, Mr. Her Husband said. No, I'm not. Here you go. Merry Christmas, I said as I handed them their gifts and tried to close the door. We're not leaving, Mrs. Old Woman said. Here, let me show you my new gift. I said as I pulled the shotgun, Belly Cat got me out of my pants. And my new, <laughs> my new gift says, you have to leave. They charged me with their intimidating old people walk. And just as they were overpowering me to get my gun, Jimmy, the three-toed sloth, materialized above them and fell on them. As their bones broke due to severe osteoporosis, I stuffed them in a box and shipped them to hell, using UPS freight, since it's the most economical mode of transportation. Later that day, I wrapped the presents I purchased and put them under the tree. Suddenly, Belly Cat walked up and showed me a ticket he had to the North Pole. I looked at him quizzically, and he hugged me and walked out the door. I'm never one to lose out on the fun, so curiously, I followed him and got on the same flight. He would, not have, he would have noticed me, but I had my hair cut and styled differently while in the airport. I sat next to him, and we had a nice but lengthy conversation about water chestnuts and why not to eat Christmas garland. 
Then we both got off at the North Pole, and he told me he had to see Santa Claus to apologize for crushing his legs. Now, what Belly Cat didn't realize was that the Santa in the mall wasn't the real Santa. Before I could reveal that it was myself under my brilliant costume, he was on a dog sled towards Santa's headquarters. I grabbed a snowmobile from an Eskimo and took off after him. Before I knew it, I caught up to his dog sled, but he was nowhere to be found, and that's when I looked down and saw a trap door at my feet. I opened it and ran down a flight of jolly stairs. Up ahead, I saw Belly Cat bounding toward a door that read Santa Claus. It was too late. Belly Cat had gotten to him. He ran into the room, and seconds later, I heard a scream. I saw him come running back, and he ran past me, only to take off on the dog sled once again. I heard police sirens, so I hopped on my own snowmobile and took off right behind him. By this time, my hair had naturally adjusted back to the way I always comb it, which is straight back. And when I drove up alongside him, he noticed me. Belly Cat looked frightened beyond belief and pointed at me. That's when he jackknifed his dog sled, and he was flung up into the air and rocketed into the ice. Bloody face and all, he climbed on my snowmobile, and we took off. We caught a plane back to the U.S. and returned home. And no, <clears throat> and when we returned into the house, we saw Monkey being dipped in boiling water. I asked Belly what happened, but he avoided the subject by making himself suffer a heart attack or by touching himself. I turned on the television and watched the news after he forced a stroke on himself. That's when I saw the headline, Santa on Trial. Last night, police officers raided the home of Santa Claus, beating every quote-unquote goddamn midget they found and discovered two elves and Mrs. Claus dead on, the San on Santa's floor. Santa denies he murdered them, but the elves claim that, he got th th that they got their seconds after the screams and the only living person in the room was Santa himself. The police raided the rest of the home, pillaging and burning every room, and came across one of the largest drug trafficking cartels in the history of the world. Santa also denies that he had any part in the production and distribution of, the, of illicit material, but the elves claim he used the threat of violence to keep them working in sweatshop-like conditions, and having to do many sexual favors for the white-bearded, jolly man we've come to love over many generations. I turned off my television and slowly turned to Belly Cat. There was hellfire in my eyes. I rose from my seat and asked him what he did. He drew me a cartoon of how he ran into the room and came across two elves and Mrs. Claus having a threesome while smoking crack. Santa was asleep, but that's when they slipped into a hallucination and murdered her. Belly Cat then ended their short lives. That's when I knew we had a mission to accomplish. Kill short people. Okay, not really. Just to save Santa. Handicat told us that he had an idea. Just then, Officer Pillip Vabble walked into the room and shot him. All right, Belly Cat, you're under arrest, Vabble said, holding the cuffs out. That's when Jimmy the Sloth materialized inside of Pillip Vabble's body, causing Vabble to explode and quickly die. Just then, Officer Pillip Vabble walked into the house again. All right, Belly Cat, we know what you did. You're under arrest, he said. It was at this time that I knew I had to do something. Jimmy had wasted all of his energy materializing into the first Vabble's body. But I had to think quickly because Vabble was the best damn cop in town. He was as sly as a fox and quicker than a cheetah. Hey, Pillip, can I see your gun for a minute, I asked. Sure thing, Dane, go ahead, have fun, was Pillip's response. I took the gun from his grubby and oily hand. <laughs> Holy shit, watch out, Pillip, I yelled. Vabble whirled around to see what I was pointing at, which was nothing, and that's whenever I ended his reign of terror. I then looked back at all the power at the all-powerful czar that is Belly Cat. What else have you done, you fat piece of shit, I demanded. That's when Belly Cat drew me a cartoon of how he was once the head of an organized crime family, but retired after three years as the boss. Jimmy was his right-hand man and his best hitman. But he's a friggin' sloth, I cried out. Belly Cat shrugged and then tried to put on a pair of shoes, but to no avail. He was too fat to reach his feet. What the hell are you trying to put on shoes for, I asked. 
Billy Cat shrugged and then drew a cartoon of how he once was walking in the basement and stepped on a nail and cried like a toddler whose father was abusive. Before he knew it, or before we knew it, Belly Cat, myself, Handy Cat, and Jimmy the Sloth were again in Santa's toy shop. We set up camp underneath his bed and planned to place wiretaps all over the mansion. We knew this was a job for Handy Cat. He was thinner than Belly and I, and quicker than Jimmy. So we handed him the wiretaps and hooked a tiny camera to him so he could see what he was seeing. Jimmy loaded up his Glock 9 just in case Handy Cat needed assistance. Handy Cat scurried through the, me- through the vents of Santa's mansion like a man trying to outrun an avalanche. His eyes grew wide when he saw the first wiretap destination. It was in the cocaine-producing factory, where all of the drugs are made and cut up into uh, their proper proportions. Handy Cat suicide dove into a mountain of cocaine. Covered in the white powdery substance, he ran up to the table where the cocaine was cut and placed in bags. He reached up underneath and placed the first wiretap. Meanwhile, what he didn't know was that he had accidentally snorted some of the cocaine while breathing and after he landed in the pile. That was when we heard a noise, and then he heard the heavy breathing behind him. He turned around to see a giant pink dragon doing the Charleston and a purple elephant in the middle of a seizure. He gasped and dropped the materials he had in his hands. The pink dragon then stuck its claws in its ass and began to gurgle and chuckle. Handicat was in awe of this amazing performance of balance and agility. But the fun soon ended when the dragon murdered the elephant and started bellowing out a horrible noise. Handicat shit right there on the floor and screamed louder than a leprechaun being raped by a crazed young man. He went to run out of the room, but ran straight into a metal object, rendering him unconscious once more. When he came to, he realized the dragon and elephant were just hallucinations due to his out-of-control drug use. He decided then that he would go to an anonymous meeting and take the 12-step program. The second wiretap was to go underneath the table in the kitchen, but when he got there, he had been distracted by a large bottle of Jack Daniels. Handicap deemed it necessary to get pissed drunk and make an ass of himself. He jerked off onto the fridge handle and took a shit in the sink. He then continued on his way, vomiting in the potted plants while he came to the main office of the head elf at the North Pole. He snuck in while the head elf was banging Blitzen's wife, <laughs> Reginolda Tubaru Reindeer. Handicat got another boner and jerked off once again, but this time grunted when he finished. He then had to hide in the office while the main elf checked the room quickly before returning to his fuck buddy. Handicat placed the wiretap underneath the elf's desk, and before he left, he was audience to one of the most amazing things he had ever seen. The elf committed the Bismarck, which means that when he came, he busted a nut in in her eye and then punched her in that eye. The elf chuckled while she was recovering from such a maneuver that very few ventured to attempt. Handicap made his way back after having successfully completed the mission. We immediately started picking up conversation in the office. Listen up, babe, we can't see each other anymore. Blitzen is starting to get suspicious, and I can't afford to kill another one of the reindeer. They're they're a vital part of this thing we got going on here, the head elf said. Okay, but for our last time together, could you not bust in my eye and punch me? She politely asked. We then heard the squeaking of a door opening. Hey, Toots, step out for a minute. I need to discuss business, said the head elf. What's shaking, boss? Another elf asked. Hey, how are you tonight, Snuzzy? The main elf asked. Not too bad, but we got to take care of this Santa Claus thing. We need to get rid of him before he finds a way to expose us. And he just might. So we've got to get it done. And get it done now. Snuzzy responded. You're right. He could expose that we're the ones running the drug cartel. That we murdered Mrs. Claus and that he had no part in it. But don't worry. He's not smart enough. That's why he always had us around. Now there's one more thing I must do, the main elf explained. Oh no. That... Only means one thing. Please, no, Snuddy pleaded. We heard the door ag- open again and heard uh, what sounded like a, a dozen badgers grunting. Not the aggravated and hungry badgers who have nothing better on their 
nothing on their mind but to ravage elves and mug old people, the elf screen. We then heard the badgers tearing the elf into bits. I looked at Bellycat in disbelief, and that's when I noticed Jimmy was wearing a black suit and with a white shirt and a white tie, the classic hitman look. He also had aviator set sunglasses and a top hat. He pulled out two silenced automatic weapons and went to town. He blew the brains out of every, out of the two unsuspecting elves who had been shooting up in the hallway. He signaled for us to fortify our positions by ripping out a clump of his hair. Bellycat followed Jimmy, and I followed Bellycat. Handycat was making a terrible racket and was going to ruin our mission, so Jimmy made, put, made him put on a bra and shot him in the stomach. Soon enough, Handicat wasn't making any noises, because he was dead. So we continued our trudge through the hallway when we came across the boss of the elves standing outside his office. He was wearing a wool jacket over top of an Armani suit, but his status didn't scare either Bellycat nor Jimmy. As a matter of fact, they stood up to the head elf, and he looked like he saw a ghost. Oh no! Don Belly! Oh god, Jimmy the Killer! The elf gasped. That's when Jimmy pumped the little man full of lead and strangled the other two elves with him to death. Jimmy and Bellycat went on a murder spree. Jimmy was shooting anything that moved, and Bellycat was either eating elves whole or stuffing them underneath his fat rolls. There was no stopping the relentless assault. They killed every elf hooker, elf pimp, and elf criminal. And to our surprise, a junkie we found in the crack room was Monkey, and as punishment, we hung him. The only living beings remaining inside the mansion were us, so we turned on the television in the living room and saw that Santa had been found guilty and sentenced to death. We knew he had to get, we had to get back quickly, but Jimmy was too slow, so we left him behind as he shot at us wildly. We made it to the back door, and Bellycat had another heart attack. He was a key witness, and Santa needed him, so I put him on my shoulders and slowly made my way to the snowmobile. Bellycat then admitted that he didn't have a heart attack. He was just too lazy to walk anymore. So I picked up a penguin and a frozen bag of shit, and I beat him with him. I then pulled him up on the snowmobile, and we were on our way to save Christmas. The snowmobile ran out of gas along the way, and I worried that we might miss our flight. We trudged through the snow, and we came across a polar bear. It stood on its hind legs, but Bellycat stomped his foot, which cracked the ice and sent the bear into the cold water below. But he climbed back up on land anyway. We then saw the bear unzip himself, and underneath, to our surprise, was Officer Pillip Vabble. I knew I'd find you here, Vabble exclaimed. That's when I pulled out the elephant gun I had in my shirt sleeve, and I blew him to hell. But Pillip got back up on his feet and unzipped himself to reveal it wasn't a, him at all, but Jimmy. Bellycat gasped, and I smiled at him. Jimmy, old buddy, I was just talking about you, slothy. I told him at first I thought he would have none of that, but then his expression lightened. That's when I noticed his hands were behind his back, and I saw the handle of what I thought was a Tommy gun. Wait a minute. Just wait one minute. Is that a gun in your hand? I asked. Jimmy nodded at me and pulled the gun forward. I started to run and noticed that Bellycat already had a quarter of a mile head start on me, but then I had a great idea. I still had my gun, and I turned around, and instead of killing my beloved sloth, I shot the ice, which cracked, and Jimmy slid right into the icy and watery grave. We continued on our way when we came across an igloo, and we wanted to see if the inhabitants had a phone. We knocked on the door, but nobody came to answer it, so we barged in, in and inside was Shawn Michaels. We looked at Belly, He looked at Bellycat with wide eyes and trembling like a chihuahua in a snowstorm. I knew it was you, he screamed. How do you know Bellycat, I asked. He's a gypsy. He sent me pictures of himself naked and stood outside my house watching my every move. And he can fly. He's an amazing magician and jokester. He once entertained friends of mine without my knowledge and convinced them that he was me. He once wore a jester hat and made love to my leg. But when I struggled to free myself from his tight grip, he became irritated and vowed to kill me, Sean responded. What the hell else do you do that I don't know about Bellycat, I asked. Bellycat just shrugged his shoulders and wobbled angrily at the WWE superstar. Sean leapt 
leapfrogged over Bellycat and ran in, off into the snow. Bellycat grumbled at, the, <clears throat> at me, to which I knocked him down and made the igloo collapse on him. Then I saw yellow forming into the snow as Bellycat pissed his way out of an icy tomb. Then we continued our journey to the airport. We saw it up ahead and began to really rush. We made it on the plane, and the first person we saw on board was Shawn Michaels, who screamed, ran into the bathroom, and flushed himself out. We took his seat and the empty seat next to his. When a stewardess would tell us to move back, I made a fist, and Bellycat would lick his chops and touch his crotch. That's when I noticed Bellycat was wearing a snowsuit, and I smelled something terrible. I told him to stand up, and sure enough, there was a large, lumpy, brown stain sagging in his pants. He began to giggle and the shit started to shift. He laughed harder and then I slapped him and told him to clean up. So when he came back from the bathroom, he showed me his backside so I could make sure he was clean. Then he sat on an old Jewish man's lap and let out a tremendous fart. Only he didn't expect the extra surprise that made its way out of his rectum. You just shit your pants again, didn't you, I said. He nodded his head. What's wrong with you? How many times have I told you not to shit your pants? It's not very gentlemanly, nor is it proper. You're lucky I don't take you home and beat you like a red-headed stepchild. How many times have I told you not to do that? Jeez, oh man, I yelled. Bellycat then handed me a folded up piece of paper, and when I unfolded it, it had a message. 4,757 times you have told me not to do that. I was going to smack him, but I noticed that the old Jewish man that had shit all over his lap now, and I began to laugh. That's when I heard another tremendous sound and looked at Bellycat, whose shit had ripped through his pants and soiled the floor, a stewardess, and my shoes. He apologized and cleaned my shoes off, but while he was leaning over, he farted once again and more shit chips blew up his ass. The smell was tremendous but I didn't notice until I stopped laughing. That's when I hit Bellycat with a hammer, clean, square between the eyes. This hammer had been in my pocket, and I had forgotten about it. So for the rest of the trip, the crew of the plane was busy cleaning up horrific cat shit. I occasionally laughed, but realized the seriousness of his crime, but then laughed some more because it wasn't a crime. Then I heard laughter behind me. It sounded like children, but too gruff. I looked back into second class and noticed that it was filled with elves. Uh, belly cat, I whispered. The back of the plane is filled with elves. Belly cat looked worried. But then, bursting out of the cockpit like, a, like Rambo, was Jimmy, dressed as a Roman emperor and armed with two AK-47s. He walked into the back and blew the little monsters to hell as they shrieked and ran about trying to avoid the fatal bullets. That's when Jimmy turned to us, and while tied to the belted-down belly cat, I opened a door of the plane and shoved him out for plummeting... Sh- shoved him out of the plane plummet to plummet to his death. We landed back in America, but in the wrong city. We landed in Atlanta, so we went to my good friend Lex Luger's house. It was late at night, and I heard the doorbell ring. But as I came walking down the stairs, I saw Mrs. Luger answered it. And I was going to return to bed, but I saw the people standing outside weren't people at all, but monsters. Three of them. Is Lex home? The largest one asked. No, he's not in the house. But he is in the bomb shelter. Would you like me to take you to him? I'd be more than happy to do so, she asked politely. We are grateful for your hospitable and warm attitude, even with our disturbance at such a time. But we regretfully decline, the big monster responded. She closed the door and locked it, and that's when I heard a thumping sound, and the three monsters (laughs) burst through the door and started to wreak havoc on the first floor, destroying everything, including Mrs. Luger's face. Then I heard them run out back, and... I looked out the back window and saw that they were bursting into the bomb shelter like a pack of rabid monsters, and how ironic that they actually were. I heard Lex scream out in horror, and I heard them breaking things and laughing. 
After they were done, they quietly left the scene that they had just pillaged and ruined. They even closed the door politely on their way out. Then I saw a bear wearing a fez walk up to the door. He knocked politely, and when Lex answered it, he gasped. The bear looked at him, looked to his watch, then looked back to Lex. And he just stood there waiting. And when Lex went to ask him a question, the bear nodded. Then the bear tore into Lex Luger's body until he died. When I returned to my guest room, I caught Jimmy and Bellycat playing spin the bottle with Luger's 14-year-old daughter. I yelled and told them that they, they, we all had to get some sleep. The next morning, we left before the police got there. Since And we took Lex's car, since he wouldn't need it ever again, and drove to the courthouse. We ran in and told the judge what had happened, and had him listen to the tapes. He gasped, and then pissed his pants. That's when we realized he wasn't the judge, but a homeless man who broke in and was sleeping in the judge's chair. So we dashed to Santa's lawyer's house, Johnny Cochran, and had him listen to the tapes as well. And we told him what we found out. That's when we realized that this wasn't Johnny Cochran, but a 12-foot-tall squirrel dressed as a sad clown that was in the middle of stealing the expensive things Johnny Cochran had. So we rushed to Johnny's practice and had him listen to the tapes in there and told him what happened. That's when we realized that this wasn't Johnny Cochran, but an African-American man who was a lawyer. But then we realized that that was, indeed, Johnny Cochran. He was shocked and rushed us out of the judge's chambers and told the judge what we had told him and had him listen to the tapes. But that's when we all realized that this was the giant clown squirrel who broke in again. So we called the judge on the phone and told him that way. The judge called everyone back to trial and introduced the new information. Santa was relieved and still devastated by the death of his wife. But he found a 19-year-old who didn't want to work and was willing to have sex with, a ma- with and marry a jolly old fat man. So they moved back to the North Pole with a whole new slew of loyal elves. And, it- and we returned home to prep for our for the Christmas we knew we had now saved. It was one day to Christmas. When we walked into the living room, Moopy Parplanger, Handicat's former owner, was sitting on my couch, and next to her was none other than Handicat, bandaged head and all. Moopy stood up, and just then, Officer Pillip Babel walked into the room. All right, Moopy, time to go back home. They don't want you here, and Handicat has moved on. Also, if you don't stand up by the time to count, I count to ten, I'm going to shoot you in the legs until the entire police department is out of bullets, you worthless, half-retarded bag of pubic hair, Pillip sternly stated. Meet Ralph, Handicap screeched out. I hate babies because they like Nazi chocolates with cherries from hell that came from Satan's underpants after he ate some chili. And when they come down to town, I pillage the homes of old people. But that's the o- but that's only in the summer, Moopy replied. Eight, nine, Pillip was still counting. Robert ate vipers. Ha 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 ha, Moopy exclaimed. Ten, Pillip yelled. He drew his gun, and just as he pointed it to her, there was a loud rumbling sound coming from beneath her, and she started to lift off her seat. To the moon! Moofy Parplanger happily cried out as she took off into space. Pillip dropped his arms to his side and let out a sigh. As he did so, a small gremlin leapt from my Christmas tree and crawled up Pillip's rectum. He started to do the robot and screeched like he had Tourette's syndrome. And soon after he started doing this, Jimmy used a giant slingshot to catapult himself into Pillip. On impact, Jimmy smiled, to, to which we closed our eyes. And Pillip and the small gremlin caught on fire and pun and spontaneously combusted. We made Handicat clean it all up while we shot arrows at his balls. When we were done, he brought a homeless man in and we let the homeless man molest him. So I grabbed an axe and chased them around until I wore out, I wore, I was out of energy and they kept running down the street and were hit by a bus that pulled up to, to my house. It was Jimmy and he was driving Santa Claus around. Santa came up to the house and hugged me. Then I felt something grinding on my leg and noticed Santa was trying to get off. So I beat him with a flapjack and then used the fridge door as a weapon of death and continuously smashed his head.
Belly Cat came down and saw the unconscious Batman. <clears throat> Belly got so excited he started to rub his own nipples until they reached out several inches, and Santa stood up, discombobulated, and asked for some milk with his cookies and suckled on Belly Cat's nipples. This aggravated me to no extent. So I grabbed my pliers and put Belly Cat in the worst titty twister in the history of the world. I told Santa that I would use a vice on his balls, so he ran off and drove back to the North Pole. Then I heard a knock at the back of my door, and when I got there, to my surprise, were my three best friends, Chad, Josh, and Tim. Hey guys, come on in. What brings you to this part of town, I asked. Not much, just driving around trying a place to chill at, Tim explained. Well, you found the place, I said. It's just Belly Cat and I. Whoa, wait a minute. What the hell was a Belly Cat, Tim asked. You never told him about Belly Cat, Chad asked. No, well, Tim, Belly Cat is my cat, and is like a family member. I don't know how I got him, I don't know where he's from, and I don't know why he is the way he is. All I know is that he's barrel loads of fun, I said. What does he do, Josh asked. Goes on wacky adventures and gets into all sorts of predicament and trouble, and I find outlandish ways to get, out, get us out of that trouble. I replied. That's when Belly Cat walked around the corner, shoveling ice cream into his fat mouth. He was covered with chocolate ice cream and then noticed my friends gawking at him. He waved at Josh and Tim and then threw an ice cream bucket at Chad. Hey, what did I do? Chad asked. Belly Cat just shrugged and then signaled them to stand next to him. He then drew them a cartoon. It showed summaries of all of the adventures he'd been on, from traveling to other galaxies to fighting dinosaurs, running a mob family, and posing in Cat Girl magazine. He then drew another cartoon and it shows Handy Cat and Jimmy the Sloth. But there was a new person who I'd never seen before. It was a cat that want, that had clearly once been very handsome, with n nice soft fur, and there was an arrow pointing to a disfigured cat next to it. Belly Cat then explained how the transformation of the handsome cat went through to become Ugly Cat, and that it was all his fault. Tim was still in awe of my fat pal, but he soon came out of his trance-like state. Hey, guess who's returning to wrestling, Josh said. I don't know who. Shawn Michaels, Josh told me. Belly Cat stopped dead in his tracks, turned and glared at Josh. Belly Cat pulled out a jester's hat from behind my ear and ravaged Josh leg, Josh's leg, just as he did to Shawn Michaels, to which Chad and Tim ran off to safety. Well, by this time it was Christmas Eve, and as a tradition, we let Belly Cat open and read all of his fan mail, as he happily does this, and gloats to the other three, but not me, because he knows I'd hurt him. He came to one Christmas card, and it was from a good friend of his. It was the lyrics to a song he wanted Belly Cat's approval on, and it read as follows. You are a fat piece of shit. You are my friend. You eat everything you can get your grubby hands on, fatty. You beat up your friends. The chorus was just, a was just Belly Cat four times. Shut up. Get those people out from under your fat rolls. Don't be stupid. Lose some weight off your fat ass. I'll kill you. Fuck you. I love you. The moon is not cheese. Rock over London. Rock on, Chicago. Best Buy. Turn on the fun. Signed, your friend, Wesley Willis. Belly Cat's eyes lit up, and he was overjoyed at the nice gesture of Wesley writing a song about him. Now it was the official time to open up one gift, and I picked the gift they opened. First I let Handy Cat open his, and inside were two things. A kazoo and a spatula. He started playing the kazoo with voracious intent while smacking his crotch and face with the, with the spatula. Then I let Bellycat open his gift, and inside was a PlayStation 2. Now it was Jimmy's turn, and he was pleasantly surprised to see what I got him was night vision goggles. So when he has to kill somebody at night, he could see what he was doing. And then it was Monkey's turn. He opened up his gift, and inside was a pile of my corn-filled shit. He was disappointed and stormed into the basement. We went to bed that night. Bellycat, Handicat, and Jimmy were cuddling. Monkey, who had survived the, the Handicat, 
who had survived, like Handicat had, tried to but beat the hell out. But I beat the hell out of him with their f thick fists and buried him alive. The next morning, the three idiots scattered down the stairs, biting, scratching, kicking, punching, headbutting, and weapon-beating each other. We all got downstairs and then angrily and excitedly opened gifts until they all reached Nirvana. <clears throat> they drooled and hissed at each other until the day was over. While they were sleeping to gain gifts for myself, Bellycat strangled Jimmy, who couldn't defend himself because he couldn't get his arms off in enough time to break the hold before he died of lack of oxygen. Bellycat then wobbled over and covered Handicat in oil and gasoline and threw him into a fire. Bellycat and I were laying in bed and watching Conan O'Brien when we heard a noise. I muted the television to try to hear it better, but then I realized the error of my ways and Bellycat's eyes widened. We knew what was about to go down and we prepared for the worst. That's when the three monsters burst through the wall and were about to destroy the house when Jimmy came riding in on a wheelchair, leading an army of robots to scare them off. A war was waged that night and the robots were victorious, this time. But the robots turned on their leader and dragged Jimmy deep into the ocean. That's when May and that's when the mayor of Export, Pennsylvania, Mayor Sumpy LeBrumple, came into my bedroom. All right, you two, I know what you're up to, and it's not going to happen. You do think you can run this show? You think you don't need me? But I'll let you know something right here and now. When the sun doesn't rise, puppies are disappointed. Now, you might, understand, might not understand this right now, but when you're a veteran politician such as I, you'll know, he said, right before he shriveled up and floated away. I was becoming quickly irritated because I wanted sleep, but I was being deprived of it. Just as I was dozing off, Handicat came bounding out of the fireplace like a demon, so I punched him so hard in the face that his head burst like a balloon and squishy prizes fell all over the floor. It became so late, and I was so tired and irritated that I couldn't think of anything funny to do, so I laid down, cuddled next to my cozy, fat belly cat buddy, who was dressed like a Viking and fell asleep. And right before we dozed off, we mutually agreed it was the best Christmas ever. The moral of this story is, don't try to apologize to Santa, because it's just caused a lot of problems, and in the end, all that happens is the death of others. Just let Santa go to jail, and someone will take his place. Don't worry. Well, actually, there is no moral of the story. But, what's the point of the story, you ask? None. This is just a bunch of random thoughts and sentences thrown into a chronological order. Oh yeah, have a very belly Christmas. The end. Well, that should do it for us, kids. Merry Christmas to all. And to all, a good night. Before I leave, remember to check out a fireside chat with Ryan McCormick. Stay tuned for High Five with Ryan McCormick and Tiffany Moore. Check out Mix Sauce with Matt, Ian, and Paul. And check out Case in Point with Justin Case. And as always, it's been a pleasure. I'll see you back here next time on The Element of Surprise. This is Chadwick Seward, signing off.
Oh, 